All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome. Pumped up to be here this week with all of you. A lot going on this time of year. Seasons ending or coming to a conclusion for a lot of you. Legion Ball is starting in certain areas. All Stars is starting up or has started. Summer ball is nearing. A lot of good things going on in the baseball community, specifically the youth baseball community. Now, while we do get into some advanced topics here and discuss some nuances of skill development and team culture development and coaching strategies overall, as most of you are keenly aware, this is a podcast designed specifically for youth baseball coaches, parents, and even players. I know we have some players listening, but it's really designed for youth baseball coaches with the caveat that parents could listen in and then coach up their kids using the strategies, of course. As always, this podcast coming to you commercial-free, ad-free. It's a fast-paced podcast. We're moving quickly through it. Our weekly check-in, our weekly get-together. I did the math on it. Getting near 200 episodes. Still got a little ways to go, but we'll be at 200 episodes in a little over three months from now. 600 hours, approximately, I've put into this podcast. Well over a couple thousand dollars. I host it on a free site now, but before, for the first two years, I was paying to host it. I've paid my editor, Sam, who does a tremendous job and has since the very beginning of this podcast, doing a great job of editing. I've paid him. And what? I don't mind all the hours I've put in and not making a dollar. In fact, losing thousands of dollars on this podcast. Because you know what pumps me up? is the impact that this is having, that I know this is having on the youth baseball community. It pumps me up to get feedback, emails, direct messages on Twitter from coaches, from you sharing that positive feedback, the strategies that you learn here that you're using, that pumps me up. That really does pump me up. For example, I received a message just the other day from an 80-20 baseball coach sharing with me a message they received from a parent of one of their players from the season that just wrapped up. And the main part of that message that really stood out was the parent saying, my son wants to play again next year. My son's excited to play again next year and had a lot of fun this season. So I always get pumped up. That's really been the the wind in the sails is knowing that this is working and helping a lot of coaches out there. The feedback I get pumps me up, keeps me coming back to the mic. I do feel like this is a calling for me. We all have our callings. I really truly believe that. We might have multiple callings. The things that have shaped us, our experiences have led us, have funneled us to certain places, have funneled us to a certain level of knowledge, usually a high level of knowledge in certain areas of it based on experience, the mentors we've been around, the people we've learned from, also combining that with our personalities and interests. And coaching has always been a big interest of mine. In fact, I was studying Phil Jackson before I finished my career. In fact, I read coaching books while I was still playing pro ball. And now that was back when Phil Jackson was still coaching. In fact, he was coaching the Lakers. They just finished up a three-peat. And I've always been very interested in great coaching. I've had a lot of terrible, I should say, I did have a lot of terrible coaches over the years. I had a lot of great coaches and a lot in the middle. 
And I saw that impact that coaching can have on players, on kids, on their lives moving forward, not just their career with their sport, in this case, baseball, but their life. I saw the positive impacts, also the negative impacts it could have, the massive impact it can have. Now, while there's no ads, no sales pitches on this podcast, it would be great if you could leave a, a review, an authentic review, an honest review. That helps a rating on your podcast app. That stuff only takes a few minutes and that really helps. Send me an email and just give me a synopsis of your ups, downs, pros, cons, positives, negatives, highlights from the season as some of you are finishing up your spring season. Share those with me. It doesn't have to be a long-winded email unless you want it to be. If it's easier, you can send me an audio message. Shoot me an audio message via email. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Maybe you're in the car driving, listening to this. Just record on that one of those voice memos. The iPhones have that built in. Usually it's right there on the control center. Just record a message, send it over. Give me your successes, some things you're working on, things that didn't go great that you're looking forward to working on next year. Send that over via email. That would be great. So speaking of this time of year, this is a very important time to keep learning about being a better coach. So even if your season is wrapping up, this is a time to really keep, to stick with it, to continue honing and, and honing that paradigm of coaching, putting together strategies for next year. Like I said, I'm sure you're all super busy being good parents, being a good coach, being good at your job, running your business. So why don't we spread out the learning? I'll keep coming out with an episode every week for all of you. You tune in and this is something that we can continue to build upon our coaching success, our coaching strategies, our coaching toolbox, our coaching tool belt. We can continue to build. A lot of you will coach another year or you'll be involved in youth baseball again. So just because your season might be ending or wrapping up, this is a good time to continue learning. In fact, the biggest changes I've ever made with my coaching programs, my coaching routines, the system that I've used and have used, now that system's evolved quite a bit over the last 20 years, less recently because it's getting more dialed in and working really well. But the summertime, the off season, you don't have time to make all these wholesale changes during the season. In fact, I recommend to coaches don't make wholesale changes middle of the season unless it's a true necessity. So now that entails or that requires us as coaches to work hard on our coaching game in the off season. And what I mean hard is like consistently, right? Consistently to spend some time during the summer, or early fall, putting together some plans, some parts of the system, notes, maybe a certain part of your practice, a routine. All right, moving forward with this episode, I'm going to talk about team captains, the pros and cons, where I stand with team captains. And it's not a one size fits all, but I'll share with you my thoughts on having a team captain or team captains versus not. I saw a major league player hit his first career home run last week. And this is a kid I coached against 10 years ago. And I remember seeing something that really stood out when he was a sophomore in high school and was the number eight batter for his team. And he recently made his major league debut which is amazing. And he hit his first major league home run. That's the pinnacle. I mean, outside of being a Hall of Famer and stuff like that, but hitting a major league home run, it doesn't get much better than that. So I'll share with you the thing that I saw from him well before pretty much anybody knew who he was, except probably his parents and his own coaches. Obviously, I'm sure saw some of this coming, but there was one thing that really stood out when I would scout him on video and watching him live. There was something that really stood out and there's a commonality here amongst a lot of great young players that have gone on and had good careers that I've coached or played with or coached against. We're also going to talk about 
balance, being a balanced coach. We'll talk about the balance of skill development and having fun. I have two great coaching quotes to share with you. And with that said, let's talk about team captains. I'm not completely against having team captains, but I'm definitely not convinced that having team captains is necessary or even a net positive overall, or I should say, even for the average team that uses captains. I've coached teams that had captains that it worked well having those captains in place. But more teams than not that I've coached, the captains, or I should say having captains, did not lead to a net benefit. I think I have a little different take on captains. Now, this is founded in many years and tons of thought and contemplation and discussing this with many wise coaches, most of all of which are older than me, because this has come up for years and years, this question of, should we have captains? How do we set it up? Who do we pick? Certain players will naturally be better role models. Certain players will naturally lead. Certain players will be neutral and certain players will naturally want to follow. I don't think they have to have a title to get buy-in from their teammates, to get their teammates to follow them. I don't think teammates listen more intently or listen more closely or follow more closely a teammate that has the title of captain versus a teammate that is respectful, that hustles, that has success, that models a high quality game that earns their teammates respect by what they do, not by a title given to them by their coaches or even voted upon by their teammates. I'm not sold or convinced that team captains or having team captains leads to a net benefit for youth baseball. Now, listen closely here. I'm a huge fan, a huge proponent of leveraging as a coach of leveraging certain players that have earned your, your trust or your buy-in as a coach, you've bought into them having some qualities or a lot of qualities, or at least one really key quality of being a leader, being somebody that other kids are going to follow and want to follow. And they know that the teammate of theirs respects them and they like them. They don't like them because they got the cool gear. They like them because the person they are. I'm a big fan of leveraging those players to get the team closer to where you would like them to be, closer to where they need to be in terms of hustle, in terms of attitude, in terms of cleaning up the dugout, in terms of how to run the drills, in terms of how to act at games. Now you say you might say, well, Coach Bo, what's the difference between what you're doing there and then having just flat out captains? I think you do it more subtly. I think it works better to have a talk on the side with players and talk to the player or even just a side talk, a nice quiet side talk while they're working through a drill or their throwing routine or just pull them over real quick, maybe while they're waiting for their turn to hit during batting practice and have a nice clear message for them. Praise them. Tell them, hey, you're a leader here. You're a leader. You're a player that the other kids look up to. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the most talented player or the player that gets the best results come game time, although that definitely helps. But it definitely has to be a player that all the other players know, like, and trust. They've earned buy-in from the other players. Their teammates have bought into them as somebody who plays the game the right way, as somebody who's worthy of copying or mimicking or modeling some of their game after or all of their game or at least some of it. And I think you get those players when you identify them and they'll stand out. You'll see it. And you talk to those players and you can do this very quickly too, briefly. You send them a message of praise. You tell them what they're doing really good and how that can benefit the team if more players do what they're doing. An example of what you could share with that player would be to have them or recommend that they specifically praise and compliment maybe a few of the players who are struggling in an area that they're really good at. 
or just in any area in general to have them give genuine praise to their teammates. Maybe they are a player that's, and most youth baseball players are not complimenting each other a lot, especially the boys. They're not really complimenting each other a lot. They get along, they have fun, but they're not always complimenting each other a lot. But you might find a couple of the star players or one of the star players, and you may say, hey, I think it would really help the team out. I would start by giving them some praise, tell them what they're really, really praise them and then say, hey, I think if you turned around and complimented and praised and lifted up some of your teammates by giving them some compliments from time to time, genuinely give them compliments, not fake, artificial compliments, but real genuine compliments, especially in front of their peers, then that would help lift up those players and lift up the team and everybody can have more success. There's a lot of things that certain players that you coach can do to help their teammates out and you can work through them. We can work through these players to reach some of the other players. And I think this is done better on the side, more low key, more natural, and to be perceived as less from a top-down approach, but more of a bottom-up approach. Now, you might say, Coach Bo, I have the team pick the captains, but that doesn't mean all the kids really voted for that kid or that teammate that became the captain or those two teammates that were the captain or became the captain or got voted to be captain. doesn't mean they all voted for them. I'm not 100% against having captains, but I think there are better approaches to get the benefits of having peer leadership, teammate leadership, a teammate-driven culture. I agree with that 100%. You could also share with a kid on the side, say, hey, you know, Johnny, speaking about his teammate, Johnny's really struggling over there at first base with this particular part of playing first base. And you could say, hey, you really do this well. Like, you have this down. You're really good. Like, you're gold glove at this. So the next time you're over there, maybe you could share a tip or two and then give them some parameters. Make sure they're polite, kind, and respectful about how they present it. You can go through a player or players to go and talk to other players or go show other players how to do it or coach up other players. But I think the best way to do it is to praise those kids that are excelling in areas or all areas, specifically hustle, coachability. If you can praise them genuinely, especially on the side, just face-to-face you know, -to, -face to them, you can praise them, genuinely give them some solid praise, and then follow that up with a message of, hey, you keep this up. Your teammates are following you. They're going to follow you. You're helping the whole team more than you even know. And you can even give them an example. Hey, when they saw you hustling here, they all followed you. You're a leader. You're a leader at this. You're a leader at that. And you don't have to say to everybody on a team, hey, Johnny's our leader because he hustles. Everybody hustle like Johnny. You go to Johnny and say, hey, Johnny, you are motivating this team. You're moving this team in a better direction by how you're playing. And I want to praise you for that. And that's something that is so awesome. And I really hope that you keep that going because these other players are following you. They're feeding off that. You're lifting the team up by what you're doing. And it's so awesome. You're a leader. Now you told him he's a leader. You didn't tell everybody he's the leader. So you're putting a player in the role, in a leadership role, the role of being a leader without announcing and telling everybody they're the leader. There's a couple things that come to mind. One, I think players follow by example. They follow other players by the example they set, not by the title they've been given. To sum up my approach here with this part, there's two parts to 
the team captain, there's two angles I recommend all coaches take. We've just talked about the first one, and I'll sum up the first one by saying this. Get players to be leaders without announcing to everybody they're leaders, without titling them leaders. Get them to lead by having one-on-one discussions with them that promote them being more of a leader, that motivate them to be an authentic, genuine leader. And then By doing that, you can also give them some tips, maybe a tip or two to go out and be a good leader or to be a good role model. In fact, if you're going to have captains, I've seen captains at every level. I've coached or played on teams where the majority of those teams had captains, designated team captains. But I don't ever remember seeing, and I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I never remember, I don't remember seeing or hearing about those team captains going through a team captain class or meeting. If you're going to do the team captain route, you better, in my opinion, you better coach up those captains on the do's and don'ts, mostly the don'ts of being a high quality captain. Give them a playbook to being a better captain. Give them some tips. Definitely go over the things like, hey, these are the two or three things that you can't ever do as a captain or as a leader. If you are going to use captains, I highly recommend you outline some strategies, some tips, some things you'd like to see, and outline some things that they should definitely try to avoid. But at the end of the day, I highly recommend having those discussions one-on-one, short, quick discussions, two minutes on the side of a drill, after practice, before practice, that promote them becoming more of a leader without announcing to everybody you've designated them as the captain or the leader. It comes across as more organic, more authentic, and also you can niche this. You can niche down the leadership roles. What do I mean by that? You may have a player that understands the skills or certain skills better than other players. And you will definitely have players that understand skills, swing, playing a defensive position, the pitching delivery, the catching position. They'll understand it better than others. Now, if you also qualify them or they qualify also as a teammate to be trusted and liked and followed by their peers, a player that you firmly believe their teammates will follow, they can get their teammates to buy in to their message, their leadership, then you can have a lot of different leaders without announcing to everybody who the leaders really are. You shouldn't hide it. If somebody asks about it, you should be transparent, fully transparent. You still make a big deal about designating leaders, captains. You may have a player that's a really good role model for how to be a quality bench player. In other words, a player that maybe isn't in the game, somebody who's on the bench. Not that at youth baseball, you should have designated bench players and players that are always playing. There should definitely be a balanced allocation of innings and playtime at the youth level. But you may have a player that really has the knack, the personality, the know-how to be a great role model for players that aren't in the game and how to act, how to behave, how to stay engaged in the game. You may have a player that understands the pitching delivery very well. You may have a hitter with a tremendous approach, maybe markedly better than your other players. You may have a catcher that can teach some of the other kids who haven't caught much some things. You may have a catcher that's really tough while some of your other catchers are a little softer. You may have certain players, and you most likely will, that are just really high hustle players. You will have players that are very coachable, that have a knack for being coached well. And there's a plethora of examples besides those. So you have these leaders that are leading and are motivated to lead their peers in certain areas they're really good at. That doesn't mean they're slacking off in other areas. That can be the area that you tell them, hey, you can really lift up our whole team because of how good you are at this. You hustle at just an amazing level. Like you are always hustling. I want to praise you for that. 
it pumps me up. You can say this, it pumps me up. I'm fired up. Your hustle, that's going to take you a long way in life. And it's making you such a better ball player. And that hustle that you have, I think other players can feed off that. I think there's other players that if you keep doing that, if you keep setting that example, if you keep hustling, when you don't let up, you're bringing other players with you. And then you might even say, hey, if you see some other players not hustling, you can give them encouragement to hustle. At a minimum, you've acknowledged something they do really good at, better than most of the other players, something they excel at, a skill, a talent, a personality trait that's better or more advanced or further along than the other players. And you can praise that. You can point it out to them. You can highlight that to them. They may already have noticed it. Maybe they didn't. But if you genuinely identify and positively package a message about that thing or those things that they do really well and that that could be turned into a leadership quality for the rest of the team, that's going to motivate them in most cases to continue doing that very well, continue elevating that part of their game. And if you get lucky and the stars align, they'll go past just the role modeling stage and they'll go to the part where they can send a positive message. They can send messages. They can talk. They can communicate with their teammates to lift them up, get them better the main message is try to promote leadership without announcing who your leaders specifically are. Try to promote it from a bottom-up approach rather than a top-down approach. Now, you can do this with captains. You can say, well, we vote on captains. But I also think that captains have some downsides to them. One, if a player has an issue or problem, I want them to come directly to me as the coach. I don't want a middleman or middle person in there. I want them to come straight to me. I don't want them to go to the captain, then to me. We all have played, or most everybody's played that telephone game when we were younger. I was in the fourth grade. We played the telephone game. The teacher told the first student, the first classmate of mine, a sentence. By the time it got to the end of the class, not one of the words was the same. The topic had completely changed. The message was absolutely different. In fact, halfway through, it had already been mixed up six ways from Sunday. So I don't really want a middle person. I want that player to learn to come straight to me. So I don't need a captain for that. I want those players coming to me. You can also get feedback from the team as a whole. You don't need a captain to do that. Again, I'm not 100% against captains. I'm just like 95% against having captains. And here's the second reason why I'm 95% against having captains. If somebody can send me something that shifts me completely over, in other words, if somebody can send me something that gives me more evidence of more benefits coming from having captains than not if somebody can send me enough evidence that shifts me over where the net gain of having captains is better than the net gain of doing it the way we're discussing here, I'm all for that. But now hear me out on the second part. If we need captains as coaches, if we need captains to get our team going, if we need captains to show our team and players how to do things the right way, if we need to rely on captains to speak up on that stuff, to be the leader in those areas, then we're failing as a coach, in my opinion, in the, in, at least in those areas in which we're relying on the captain to do the work, the captains. Good coaches are the leaders. We're the adults. We set an example of leadership. We're the adults. 10-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 12-year-olds don't have near the leadership skills on average that an adult in a coaching role or position is going to have. Again, I've seen some videos recently that make me cringe when it comes to youth coaches. I'm going to talk about that in an upcoming episode. And it just motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing to change, to help change the culture and, and create more winning players and more winning skills, but more winning environments, more winning teams, more winning cultures, I should say, team cultures, and a better vibe and better experience in youth baseball. But overall, 
And I know the listeners, those of you that have all emailed me over the years and listened to this and have bought into the 80-20 mission and the 80-20 pillars, I'm not worried about you. You coaches are dialed in. You're going to have a lot better understanding of where to take the team as a leader than even the most mature, advanced 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, or even high schooler. Good to great coaches should not rely on the captains to right the ship. That's what the coach is for, the coaching staff. If you set up from day one the things we've talked about for the last three and a half years now on this podcast on 8020baseball.com, you read those articles and you follow along the path that I've set forth. Not just me, of course. This is from wisdom from all the great coaches I've had, all the great coaches I haven't had, but I've learned from. If you stick to these strategies, you won't have to rely on captains set their teammates straight. You won't have to rely on captains to be the one or two people that motivate the rest of the team. You will have created a team culture that already takes care of it. You've made the captain role obsolete. You're the leader. You're the coach. The coaching staff are the leaders. I would take that mindset. I'm the leader of the team. I'm the adult, but I will also try my best to identify players, kids that have skill sets, personality traits, work ethic traits that are better than the rest or better than most that are also players I think the other players are going to follow. And then I would get in their ear a little bit. I would discuss with them. I'd meet with them. I'd have a quick discussion and praise them and tell them that you've identified this skill, this trait, this characteristic as being awesome, as being really good and something to be really proud of. And then get them to organically infuse what they're doing, infuse that skill, that personality trait, that work ethic, to infuse it into the rest of the team culture. I know there's some of you that aren't going to agree. You think it's always been that way. There's always been a captain. I get it at the professional level. I get it a little bit at the college level. I just don't think youth baseball, in fact, I actually wouldn't even use it at the college level. If you have a Derek Jeter, yeah, the big difference between that level and, of course, youth baseball, the biggest difference even with high school and college is you have players that are a lot older. Like Derek Jeter, towards the end of his career, the last five years, was 10 years, eight years older than a lot of his teammates. Now you have the difference. Now you have that discrepancy in age. So you start having that gap where then, yeah, you can call Derek Jeter the captain. Players are going to come in and listen to him because he's that further along in his knowledge and career and wisdom. But I think the approach, the best approach on this is niche down some of those leadership roles and be subtle with them and then be the coach, be the leader. You're the captain. You're the captain of the ship. You're the coach. I know this is a little bit of a different message and you've probably heard on this, but again, it's not about doing what we saw done. It's not about how we were coached up or how we've coached and how we've done it or how it's been done. And it's not about trying to be different. The only thing worse than people stuck in their ways and give you the answer, well, we've always done it this way. The only thing worse than that are the people that are contrarian for contrarian sake. They're just trying to be different just to be different. No reason, no evidence. They just want to be different just to be different. But they're both bad. They're both unhealthy ways. They're both unproductive ways to grow. They're both going to slow us down. So I'm not doing this to be different. I'm not doing this for any other reason than this is what I've seen across many teams, many players, many different coaching strategies. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on team captains. Don't have them. Get kids to be leaders in a more subtle way. And at the end of the day, the coach captain the ship. Now I saw a player, Matt McLean, hit his first career pro or 
first career major league home run last week. And I saw him play his sophomore year of high school. He went to Beckman High School in Southern California, coached by an outstanding coach, Kevin Laval, one of the better coaches I've been around. First class program over there at Beckman High School. And I remember seeing Matt McLean hit and the first time I saw him was on video, had some scouting video of him. And he wasn't even one of the top hitters on his team. He was a sophomore. In fact, I would talk to other coaches. They wouldn't even bring up his name. And I kept watching him. I kept watching while I watched their team, coaching him. And I said, he's got one of the best hitting approaches of any player that I'd coached against. And what specifically he did was he did not. He literally followed the plan A and plan to 80-20 hitting approach. He followed it. Now, he didn't know about that, but he followed it. Credit to his coaches over there at Beckman. Credit maybe to his parents or dad or hitting coach that he's had. But he swung to hit hard doubles with less than two strikes. He didn't look to just put the ball in play. He was looking to drive the ball into the gaps with less than two strikes, but he didn't chase pitches that were not his pitch. He took a lot of really well-placed pitches that were strikes with less than two strikes. He took strikes. He was looking for pitches that were the half of the strike zone, a little more elevated, a little more middle, a little more in. He was looking for those pitches. If you threw him a pitch on the outside quarter at the knees, he wasn't swinging. It was a strike. He was fine taking it. I very rarely, if ever, saw him chase a pitch out of his hitting zone with less than two strikes. I never saw him get cheated on a swing with less than two strikes. He had one of the best hitting approaches. That, to me, is the biggest difference maker. So many coaches want to coach up the swing. Well, one, the problem with that is, how do you even know how to coach up the swing? There's a lot of different theories on how to coach the swing. And I'm not saying there's not a, a better way or a worse way or better ways or worse ways. But what I'm saying is, it's a lot easier for a youth coach who doesn't want to go learn exactly how to coach up or have the time to completely overhaul or revamp a swing or to coach up the swing, it's a lot easier to get players to swing at pitches they can drive and take pitches they can't because that's very easy to see. That doesn't take experience at the professional level or the college level or even high school. You can see what pitches they hit well. We all know it's about in a certain area of the strike zone, certain areas. There's are some differences between the hitters, but most hitters typically like it right down the middle or in that area. It doesn't have to be specifically an area. I was like a big beach ball area. Now with two strikes, if it's in the strike zone, they got to swing and the strike zone might change from day to day or game to game. But if it's in the strike zone, they have to swing. They swing as hard as the pitch dictates. The pitch is really well thrown, just below the knees, too close to take. They're out in front. They got fooled. Off-speed pitch. Well, hey, do what you can with it. Fight it off. Do what you can. Okay. If it's a fastball and it gets on the hitter real quick, maybe they were looking breaking ball. Hey, fight it off. Foul it off. So when I saw Matt McClain hit his first major league home run, and I flashback about 10 years. I remember seeing him as a sophomore in high school. His swing, there was a lot of guys that I coached against just that year alone, heck, on his team that had swings like his swing. The difference maker, well, his swing was really good, don't get me wrong, but the biggest difference, the difference maker to me was his approach. And that is the biggest difference maker in all of hitting is the approach all the way up and definitely at the youth level because that's the easiest thing to coach. I didn't say easy, but definitely the easiest thing to coach. All right, let's wrap it up with two coaching quotes of the week. The art of leadership is saying no, not saying yes. It is very easy to say yes. Tony Blair. So quote, the art of leadership is saying no, not saying yes. It is very easy to say yes. That's why most coaches have undisciplined teams. Most coaches have rules. Most coaches have set forth expectations. They've verbalized them. Why are their teams undisciplined? Why are they uncoachable? Why don't they listen? Because you have to say no. You have to draw a line. You have to enforce. 
the consequences if they cross that line in the sand. And of course, I think it's best to have as few rules as possible, have a tiered consequence approach, but don't let that line be crossed from there. Just make sure you set the line far enough back and don't let them cross it. And that goes hand in hand with this quote, the art of leadership is saying no, not saying yes. It's easy to say yes. It's the path of least resistance. And this quote is not saying that you shouldn't say yes. In fact, I believe we should default to yes and be agreeable and we should default to yes with a firm no in certain specific areas. What it's saying is saying yes is easy. Letting kids do what they want is easy until it's not, until it's not. And once it's not, that's an avalanche that will bury you. So I thought that's a great coach. The art of leadership is saying no, not saying yes. Knowing when to say no and sticking with your no. Next quote, John Wooden. I got to get a John Wooden quote in at least every couple months. Quote, the most powerful leadership tool you have is your own personal example. This goes back to that captain quote, and I'll paraphrase it with that. The most powerful leadership tool a player can have is their personal example, not the title of captain. It's their personal example. The most powerful coaching example or coaching tool you can have is your own example. I'll leave it at that. And that'll end our episode for today. Head over to 8020 Baseball, get the drill design guide. A lot of you have been going over there recently, getting that. It's a 21-page PDF ready to go. It'll be emailed to you right away. It lays out the eight steps, the eight parts. It's really seven to eight, depending on the drill you're doing, the ingredients to a great drill anytime, anywhere with any set of equipment or set of resources. So go over and get that drill design guide. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. Support the podcast. Email me your success stories. And until next week, take care of yourself, your health, your families, your close friends, and take this out there to the field. Or if you're already done with your season, most of you are not done yet. But if you are, take this and start putting together your plan for next year. And speaking of next, until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.